Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And we are looking at David and Goliath today. Most people have heard those two names side by side for a number of reasons, certainly in their own lives. We've talked about that a little bit in our podcast before, but today we're going to focus on David and Goliath in this uh, brilliant, marvelous story that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, this battle that we'll look at today took place approximately 3,000 years ago. There were two nations who had been enemies of one another for a very long time. Borders and boundary disputes were frequently at the heart of their disputes between these two nations. More blood had been spilt between these two nations than what we can possibly imagine. They were very different in many ways uh, from their daily living, their moral standards. They had different cultural origins and they worshiped different gods. The Philistines worshiped Dagon and they had a temple for him. And the Israelites worshiped and served Yahweh and they had the Ark of God, uh, which served as a visual. Uh, it was a, a piece of their worship, a part of their worship that God had given to them. And, and these things were at the heart of what these nations stood for and what they represented. And so they were, they were at odds with one another always. Uh, the Philistine name comes up over and over and over again in the Old Testament as the nation of Israel deals with them. For us today, at this time in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistines, as we recall, are a warlike people. 1 Samuel 15, 52 says that there was fierce war with the Philistines all of the days of King Saul. So even before we get to chapter 17, we're, we're, it's made known to us that they are constantly in battle with one another. In 1 Samuel 17, as the chapter begins, the Philistines have a huge advantage, and I mean that literally. They have a warrior from his youth by the name of Goliath. Goliath, as the Bible gives us these numbers, the, the measurements aren't the same as what we use today, but by all that we can tell, Goliath was about almost 10 feet tall. And as we talked about that earlier, Kurt, we need to picture in our minds J.J. Watt, a football player that's six foot eight and is big and strong and unbelievably fast. Um, it helps to think of Shaquille O'Neal mm -hmm. because he's, he's close to seven feet tall. But So we'll take, take J.J. Watt, whoever you choose, Shaquille O'Neal, and now add three feet in, in height so that we can get a picture of what Goliath looks like. He's three feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. And as, as he gets taller, we have to proportionately expand his the thickness of his arms, his fingers. He's not minute bull. He's not like a guy you could just push over. He is a massive, massive man. The, the children of Gath were often referred to as giants. Uh, Goliath is a giant. Um, and just to help us get a picture of this man. Now we're looking at a human being standing in front of us who's 10 feet tall. That alone is just scary to, to imagine, you know, what would be required. What's, how big is this guy's heart? You know, what, what does veins look like? He, he is monstrous. The Bible tells us that the armor and the weapons that he uses, this is all that he would carry going into battle, is approximately, by the best we can figure, about 175 pounds. So he basically has me on his back when he goes into battle. And, and these are not, he's got a shield, he's got a coat of mail, he's got brass um, shin guards basically, something to cover the bottom part of his legs. Those are tied to his legs and feet. Uh, all of these items of war are extremely heavy to me and you and to everyone else in the world, but they're light enough for him that he can move with, with great speed. Um, because he knows going into battle, he can't be weighed down or he'll be ineffective. So it, it's good to think about 175 pounds of weight that he either carries or is on his body as he's running, you know, chasing the enemy, swinging the sword uh, with full range of motion and, and being able to do it quickly with precision and, and great accuracy because they, we know they worked on these things. These things were set up before they went into battle. So to have almost 200 pounds on you and to still be as fast as you were without the weight, again, speaks to us about his size and his strength. He is a monster. And, and any one of us would just fall down on the ground if we were faced with a Goliath today. 
As we look at 1 Samuel 17, we, we can't read the whole chapter, but as we look at 1 Samuel 17, one of the things that I wanted to remind everyone of, and, and I'll give you an opportunity to do that as well, but the one thing that sticks out in my mind is that David is now on the scene as well. These, these armies are set up in battle array. They're overlooking a valley facing each other. Uh, so they're lined up, you know, they bang their swords against their shields and, and those kind of things to stir up noise and do, the sound of dominance that will kill you, will take you out. Um, there's a lot of chanting and yelling that the nations would be involved in, again, to set up this picture of power. Goliath comes out for 40 days and makes the same statement um, every time he comes out. It says in verse 8 of chapter 17, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, so we know the condition of the nation of Israel. They are terrified of this man. He wants one man to come out, and they're all saying, It ain't me. <laughs> what I want us to remember is that David is here now not to fight. He's here because his father, Jesse, sent him to check on how his brothers were faring and to give some food to their captain, uh, to show some honor and respect to the captain and, and check on his brothers and bring report back to dad. His dad has no idea that Goliath has uh, set this battle up and that the nation is on its knees and, and terrified before Goliath. So I think that's important because David had a, a reason to be there, and it had nothing to do with fighting. No. I, I think that needs to be made clear. Yeah, you use the uh, example of Shaquille O'Neal, and, and most people are familiar with him because mm -hmm. if you were a basketball fan back in the day, you watched him play, uh, and now he's he does all his commercials and everything, so you know how big this guy is. Uh, and it'd be like telling me, Go out there and go one on one with Shaq. You know, <laughs> uh, forget it. Uh, you know he's long retired, but he he all he'd have to do is stand there and let me bounce off him. That's right. To if I try to drive to the hoop, if I try to shoot over him, he's just going to swat the thing into the stands. So uh, you add ten, uh, three feet to Shaq's height, and in a basketball game he could stand there all night and just drop the ball through the hoop. He doesn't he doesn't even have to slam dunk. Just throw the ball to him. He drops it in yeah. all night because he's that big. His he's almost head level with the rim. To give people a you know if if you are familiar with that, it gives you an idea just how big Goliath was. And here comes this boy. Yep. Not a warrior. Well, he is in a way though. You know I'm going to qualify that. Not yet that. revealed. But he's he's not a. Man, man on man battle warrior. No, but as he tells Saul, I have defended the flock against the bear and the lion. Yes, when they came and took the lamb out of the flock, I came and rescued it out of their jaws. And when they fought me, I grabbed them by the beard. And so he's been one on one with animals that are probably about as powerful as Goliath. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what impresses me is. Uh, just really how significant this incident is in the history of Israel and in the biblical perspective because as a result of what happens here now David's on the map for Israel they this he bursts on the scene and they now know about him because it doesn't take them long to where the women are saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands his his fame grows, but it, it, they just they see this young man, a, a boy at this time, really, who takes care of this issue, and they they begin to see his character too. What kind of of young boy would do this? Well, first of all, it's someone who's zealous for God, 
He's concerned about God's reputation. He doesn't go into the battle saying, I can make a name for myself. Nobody knows who I am, but boy, here's an opportunity for me to really grab the, the headlines. He's concerned about God's reputation mm-hmm. among the people and among the nations. His, his thing is, you are out here defying the armies of the living God, and you're blaspheming the name of God. And I don't like that. I'm going to take care of that. So we see that zeal. We see his confidence, not only in the skills that he has developed and prepared as you know, defending the, the flock with a sling. Uh, he was out there, I'm sure, for hours while he's standing around in a pasture watching the sheep pick out that stone over there, pick up a few rocks, and just start slinging it yeah. and hitting that stone out there 50 yards away one time after another. Um, just developing that skill because he needed it against the predators that would come after the flock, possibly raiders that would show up to try and run him off and steal the sheep. He had to fight those off. Um, So he goes armed with what he knows how to use. He has his zeal for God. He has his faith and his dependence on God. And from that springs his confidence and courage and his courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you uncircumcised Philistine, you cannot stand there and defy the living God. I'm here to write that. Yeah. And that impresses Israel. And so we see God beginning, well, he began to prepare him as a shepherd, but really developing David now as the one who is going to be Israel's greatest king the warrior king, in addition to being the poet king. But even more importantly for us, the ancestor and the type of Christ that he's going to demonstrate in being king of Israel. So this really is a monumental event in biblical history and in in God's working with man to bring salvation into the world. This is a pivotal event, just this one-in-one battle between an experienced giant warrior who is fleshly and carnal, uh, just apparently enjoys killing, mm-hmm. against this shepherd boy who really wasn't planning on being there in the first place and has nothing to go uh, forth with except a little leather th- sling and some stones that he picks up out of the brook. And it's there's so many wonderful lessons here, but... God using the weak and the apparently ineffective and the small in order to demonstrate his strength and accomplish great things. Yeah, it is amazing. There's the odds against David in this moment. You know, again, the armies are drawn out in battle array. Both armies are watching this. They, they know Goliath's out there because he's been doing this over and over again. David, as you said, now is going to begin to step out onto the field of battle. Just imagine what both armies are thinking. You know, not everyone's there when Saul speaks to David, mm-hmm. where David says, don't worry, I've killed a lion and a bear. And Saul says, okay, God be with you. You know, go, yeah. go get him. If you want to do this, go ahead. <laughs> but but just think about Israel watching this little boy, like, well, what, yeah. what's, he, what's going on Is he on taking here? water to Goliath? Why? There's no reason for him. What's that kid doing? He's not a soldier. He doesn't have the military equipment on. He's clearly not ready for battle. So just imagine, and then the Philistines starting to laugh, like, what? Well, you see Goliath's reaction. Yes. Am I a dog that you come out against me with sticks? That's right. (laughs) Because all he has is his staff and a sling. That's right. And we we have to remember that. Come on. Because in the world we live in today, we think, oh, you can't. You're not cut out for the job. You have no training. And and many times that's true. That's why we fall back on those things. That Of course, that's right. He, He has no chance. But there's a reality that God's establishing, as you said, for his nation, for his people, and for us today, that what the Lord needs is what he's always needed on this earth for his will to be accomplished and for people to recognize who he is, is a faithful heart. I want so badly for the Lord to choose the famous, the rich, the, the rock star, and the, um, the television star that everyone just can't get enough of. And, you know, Tell us more. We'll just want to hear you talk. If the Lord would take one of those people and, and have them converted and, and, and share the gospel, that you know, what great things could be accomplished? And, and, and the Lord, is, as I ask that to him, he says, you still don't know yeah. who I am. 
That's not how I work. That is, yep. We're not looking for you know this overwhelming, wowing the people with men, uh, uh, earthly and manly ways. It is done God's way. He, he will choose the weak uh, to set low the mighty. And so we're going we're to watch that happen right now. David is now taking off the armor that Saul gave him to fight with. He says, I haven't tested these. I can't wear this. And so he takes the armor off, and in verse 40 is where we're picking up. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said, Fee, fi, fo, fum. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your children's class version? Yes, I'm sorry, I went. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Mm. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So now, again, the stage is set. As you already pointed out, Goliath, he realizes, oh, this is who they've sent. Yeah. And it, that takes a minute to process because this I'm is not, not the guy. not going to break a sweat with this guy. This can't be the guy. Yeah. If, you know, Goliath being 10 feet tall, if David's 14 or 15 years old, Goliath can literally step on him and crush him like a bug. He, he would not be able to come out from underneath Goliath's foot. Mm -hmm. So Goliath's thrown a little bit, but he says, oh, well, come on. If this, if this is the one you've chosen, then come to me, and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. By the end of the day, the birds will be eating from your carcass. And, and again, now David's committed. You know, it's, it's like sometimes we offer ourselves for something, and then we, we get to it, and we're like, oh. Yeah, I don't know if I, I'm not sure I should be here. I've I've taken more than I can chew, whatever that thought is in our mind. Never, never with David. Um, I've heard it pointed out, and I, I like it that he went into battle with just a sling and no stones, because you notice he picked up the five smooth stones from the brook. Mm -hmm. The armies are on either side of this valley, and the brook's in the middle, so he is fully committed with no rocks in his hand. Mm -hmm. He's coming out to deal with this giant. And I love that because, again, how's God going to do this? How's he going to make all this right? How will he fix all of these days of weakness in this nation of Israel who should have trusted in God? Leave that to him. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to pick the stones that I want, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it the way I know how to do it. And God is going to use where David is in his life to show how powerful God is. So the Philistine now has threatened David, told him he's going to feed him to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In verse 45, some of the most beautiful verses written in the Old Testament. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When I was first, first converted and first obeyed the gospel, I, had, I, I was excited about Scripture, and I, I did a lot of reading. I listened to a lot of sermons that at that time, because of the year that it was, there were sermons on CD that you mm -hmm. put in your car and just listen to as you drive. But I remember vividly, my wife was driving, we're on a small trip, and I was reading 1 Samuel 17. I love the story of David and Goliath, even as a kid. And I remember in the car as she's driving, and I, I started crying. From these words, in that moment, it made such an impact on me because I did have a good grasp for the first time of this young boy that he doesn't stand a chance. And in the way that he comes to the enemy and he says, first of all, here's who you are. You've come to me with a sword, which is, is part of your problem because the Lord doesn't save with sword. 
So the, the understanding of this young man is just mind-blowing. And, and, and the, the order in which he lays it out, you have a sword, a spear, and a javelin, and I come to you. What does he say? Five smooth stones and a sling? No. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He says to Goliath, you're guilty of defying the army and the people of the living God. And then in 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, notice what he says next. I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines. <laughs> yeah, not just you. <laughs> the deal was, the deal was, if 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 you be Goliath, then we'll be your servants. And David's like, no, no, yeah. you're first. He's got a bigger vision here. Man, I'm telling you, this kid. And to hear the the army, or to, for the nation of the army of Israel to hear this young man, words they knew that were true, and that they should have relied upon. For 40 days, they cowered in fear when this truth was always there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, I think about the Lord watching David to watch this young man take hold of all of that in this brilliant moment is inspiring. Um, it, it, ju- it just, like I said, it, it always chokes me up because this is, this is faith that we read about in the Bible, and it's faith that it, that is gone to work. And, and, and just absolutely believes that the Lord's going to handle this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that contrast that he voices here. He's basically telling Goliath, you're coming to me with carnal weapons, a sword, a spear, and a javelin. You've got your armor bearer out here, and you've got all your, your armor on and everything. That's nothing to the Lord. <laughs> From David's perspective, it's, it's all about God. You just look at the emphasis he puts on, you know, this is the Lord's battle. He doesn't need your big old giant sword and your weaver's beam spear that you've got on your back because you're so big. God doesn't conquer that way. No. Uh, this is his battle. He's going to win it. There's no way you can stand against him. You've defied him. Like you said, you're guilty. Of, of your opposition to God. And so he's going to show everybody who he is today. He's going to give you into my hand. He doesn't say, tell Goliath, I'm going to whoop you. It's God's going to deliver you to me. That's right. And then we're going to take care of this and problem that's true. between us and the Philistines. That's true. And he's, he's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, of course, this has no effect on Goliath because he's... He's a pagan, he's an idolater, he's into his gods, and he, he's confident in his own strength. But David is confident in God's strength. That's right. Because that's where it is. The battle is the Lord's. Um, and I just love it. You, you know, here's this huge intimidating guy. And what does it tell us about David? The, the Philistine arose in verse 38 and came and drew near to meet David. Then David hastened and ran toward the army <laughs> to meet the Philistine. Yeah. He didn't kind of sidle up there, you know, like you were saying, am I sure I'm supposed to be here? <laughs> he had no second thoughts. No. He goes, okay, let's go. He runs toward him. You are over there, and I'm here with God, and he is going to vanquish you. And it only takes a minute or so for him to do it, too. There's no long, drawn-out battle that you would expect between, you know, two champions, two right. warriors like you see in the movies. They're fighting it out for 10 minutes. He just lines up and fires. That's right. And it's over. That's right. And God conquers. Yeah, he hurried and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. So now he is going towards enemy territory. They've lived there for the last 40 days. Goliath's in front of all of them, and he's running towards the enemy. And it, that is a picture of courage. It always is a picture of courage to, to run towards the fray and not away. So for me, I would be hurrying and I would be running, but it'd be the opposite direction. Yeah. I'd be looking for the biggest rock to hide behind. I'd be looking for the nearest, the quickest flight out of Palestine and t- over to America. What, whatever it could be for me to get out of that situation because fear is a real thing. And he mm-hmm. has a re- if you compare size, he has a, re- he's a reason to be fearful and he is not. So as you said, verse 49, David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone, and he slung it. Isn't that interesting? It's all the Bible says. He slung it. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, to me, that's one of the signs of, of the Bible's inspiration. Just to digress for a moment, you making that point. The Bible is so matter-of-fact and understated about some of the most amazing things. We would say, tell us more, and the Bible's yeah. like, no. If this was a Hollywood script, you know, or a, or a, a, a novel, you'd have all this description. Now, he, he got just the right rock, and he put it so-and-so, and he wound up, and after three or four rotations, he fired at the target. You could hear the stone whizzing out there, <laughs> and suddenly, right into Goliath's head. It's it just so matter-of-fact. I know. He slung it. He and struck it. the Philistine in his forehead. Okay. That's right. Job done. <laughs> What's next? That's right. We're about to find out. Yeah. He's slugging yeah. into his forehead so that the stone sank into his yeah. forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Yeah. Now, this I, I mentioned the armies because this presents another moment in time where both armies are watching. Goliath's coming. He's walking towards this young man. The young man's running, which is interesting for both sides to see. The young man is now swinging his arm, as you mentioned. Uh, he, he's wrapping this thing up. And then he, he lets it go. And so they're watching. They can't see as well as, you know, in our mind's eye what we see. They're, they're pushed back a pretty good distance. They can tell that David's made his first move. And then Goliath, you know, his body maybe kind of teeters a little bit because this stone has gone into his forehead. He may kind of rock back and forth as someone would being hit in the head with a rock. And then, boom, you know, it falls on his knees and, yeah. and dust kind of kicks out. And then, then the rest of his body, boom, straight on his face. And they see this young boy is like, yeah, he's running towards Goliath. And they're, they're just thinking, standing there. Both, they're both shocked, both armies. Yeah, I'm thinking the Philistines have to be thinking, well, Goliath's always happened. been a joker. Yeah. He's got to be kidding. He's got one up his sleeve here. Right. This is that thing he does where, you know, whatever. So they're still, they see what's happening, but there's no way they're registering yeah, this because of it. the impossibility of, of what has just happened. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So now David's standing over this dead Philistine, and he realizes, I don't have a sword, but I'm supposed to cut his head off. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw, so now this is how they realize, he's, he's, he's yeah. sawing Goliath's he's head He's actually off. got the head now, which is why David did it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, sadly, but finally, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines yeah. as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the, wound, and they, the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharalam, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And so they have their victory, but it is at the hands of a very young boy who loves the Lord and who has been faithful to him. The sweet psalmist of Israel mm -hmm. is the one God chooses to kill this massive man and to do it in such a remarkable way. Uh, man, there's, there's just a lot to take from this. Yeah, it's just, uh, this has such a tremendous impact like you said finally the army has an example before it of courage that they can rally around yeah they should have taken care of this but we're fearful of doing it uh they were intimidated this you know and if i were there in the army on that day i'd be intimidated too yeah this guy is huge that's right his first swing he's just he's going to bend my shield in two and only one of us can go out, yeah. so we can't all jump him. Right. He, he's going to crush me. Mm. I don't have a chance. And then this kid goes out and doesn't even touch him, puts <laughs> him on the ground, and then goes and, you know, makes the victorious example. Uh, I think with a stone in your forehead, you're already dead. Oh, yeah, it said he was dead. Uh, yeah. And so he cut his head off to demonstrate to both armies this is, this is a total victory here. We won. He's not just knocked out. He has been defeated. Uh, and so this rallies the troops. But it, it, it has a tremendous effect on Israel. Because, like, like we said at the beginning of the uh, podcast, his name is just a big headline now. David defeats Goliath. That's right. Film at 11. You know, just... <laughs> It, it the it, it's nationwide, 
like you said when we were talking about this, these, these soldiers would go home to their families and wives and their neighbors. And of course, well, how did the battle go? Man, you would not believe what happened. I got a story for you. This kid showed up. And, and so just the fame, the, people are astonished. What's going on? Uh, and so it, I think for the people too, it puts the nation's attention on David, but also on God. Yeah. Because that's who David glorified. That's what he said. All this assembly <clears throat> shall know. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it starts up the friendship between David and Jonathan, which is a beautiful yep. side story. Chapter 18. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just the impact of this is monumental. Like we said before, the, the people, the women start singing as David's reputation grows. And he goes out, you know, Saul sending him on missions and whatever. And David comes back victorious. Every time. And, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his 10,000s, which then starts to arouse the jealousy and, and the pride in, in uh, Saul. And I think it's his fixation on this that he finally went insane. Yeah. But uh, you, just, you see the ball rolling now, how God is using this to, to sort of build his momentum in the work that he does to bring the Christ That's right. into the world. Uh, he comes through David's line. David was never lined up to be king. Nope. He's a shepherd boy. He's, he's the youngest of a family that is of, of no repute in Judah. And yet, like you said, Samuel anoints him as king. Maybe that word kind of got around and people go, eh, okay, Whatever. I don't know what's going on there. Saul is king and he's a boy. Yeah. What's Samuel doing? But now... David has been launched into the stratosphere by God. Absolutely. Because now he's in the king's household all the time. He's before the king. He's known among the people. He's, he's made a captain, a captain of a thousand. So he's a, he's a major leader now in Israel. And his reputation is just going to grow and grow. And God uses that. Yeah. That's right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out, just with David, you know, because he is a young man. I, I don't know; it may not have anything to do with age, but I just see this young boy, because <laughs> you know, Saul's uh, Goliath's head has got to be about the size of David, basically. <laughs> yeah. But he's able to lift it up off of the ground, and so when you get to the end of chapter 17, the, the king says to Abner, "Inquire whose son this young man is." In verse 56, verse 57. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. So he's dragging. <laughs> Anybody got a wheelbarrow? <laughs> he's, he's, dra he's dragging Goliath's head around because that is the victory. That's everything. Yeah. And David's like, this is mine. And, and look what it says. And David took the head. This is verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So he's still got it with him, the head. Yeah. When they all come back to Jerusalem, he's still holding on to that thing. And I just think, you know, this young man and what this moment meant to him. He's, he, never, he never stops giving God credit. But yeah. it's just like the, this kid and his trophy that, well, I, it's, you know, his head's coming with me. I wonder when he decided to put that in the garbage. <laughs> Probably when it was getting a little sour. <laughs> I think we all know when he decided, okay, that's enough of that. It's not really his head anymore. It's kind of falling apart. But just, just, you know, again, what the Bible records for us, that David's he's dragging his head around. It's this reality of, of, of who he is, his heart, his love for God, and, and that Goliath, his head meant more to David than his body as, as a living Philistine because it, it, it was a testimony of what God had done that day for the nation. It's just a, you know, a beautiful picture of this kid. And so I want to I wanna offer a take-home point for us because... We make the mistake, I believe, not on purpose, but we, we say, I'm teaching David and Goliath in the Bible class for, for middle school, elementary school. And we tell them, oh, I love this story. You know, this, this is such a good story. But we don't, we shouldn't ever look at it that way, and we shouldn't present it that way. This is God's word concerning a man after his own heart and the life that he lived as a youth. And it's all in 17 based on what David tells us and then what we see David doing. It's for me and you. You know, Absolutely. The, uh, neither one of us are a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, none of this fits for us. 
but it is for us to watch and to bear witness to what faith looks like. And it's, it, it's not a blind faith, but it is a, uh, a sure faith. Uh, he is sh- uh, surely and fully aware of who God is and what he's capable of doing. And so he says, I want to be a part of that. And, and we can do the same thing. And Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's David. Yeah. It's just imagine the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth so that he might show himself strong on behalf for those whose heart is loyal to him. It's a beautiful picture of God's relationship with his people who do believe in him and, and who will stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. I can't go there. I won't cuss. I'm not, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. because I honor God with my life and that, that God is looking for opportunity to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Not, not someone who's like, well, I guess I'll give religion a try. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who is just enraptured with all that God is and, and, and things like this that we've read today and what they help us to become and, and to understand. Um, and, and I think a big part of that, as you say, well, our heart needs to be loyal to God, that we can't forget that there is sometimes a Goliath in the camp of the enemy in your life, in my life. Yep. You know, we, have, we all have our Goliath. Mm-hmm. There's something we can't defeat. We've tried. We've measured ourselves up against it. We don't stand a chance. Um, and yet, could that not be a perfect opportunity for me to say, I'm going to have to trust God in this. Yep. I will do my part. But I can't beat this. But God can. Yep. If we're trying to be like Goliath and trust our own strength, even someone is with strength that he had, it was insufficient. David, although not a weakling, I'm sure he lived in the wilderness and, and you know, probably a hard-muscled, you know, in durable young man, but still yep. just a, a teenager at this time. Uh, if I'm trusting in my own strength, I am not going to conquer. It's all in God, just as it was for David here. That's right. God will deliver you in my hands. So when we face our Goliaths, there's a, a big challenge that just seems overwhelming for us, and we, we don't see a way to overcome it. Nothing... It's like the scripture said, is God's hand shortened that he can't deliver? No. God is able to conquer, and he will, and it's going to be in a way, as he did here, it's going to be in a way that brings the glory to him. Yep. And that's, David was careful to do that. And as you read that in the Psalms, I I can't recall him, and I could be, I could stand corrected here. I don't recall him in the Psalms directly referring to, to Goliath ever. No. But it's always looking to God for deliverance, for protection from his enemies, uh, giving his praise to God, delighting in his word and in, in seeking to draw closer to him. It's all about God for David. And when a person has that perspective, there's nothing that can't be accomplished. Yeah. Because God can do it. That's right. He certainly can. I when David writes his own epitaph towards the end of 2 Samuel, he writes David, uh, mentions a few things, attributes of who he is. Like you said, he doesn't mention Goliath or that he's a giant killer. But he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel, which is where that mm-hmm. phrase comes from. And again, it just speaks to his heart. His heart was always out in the pasture, out in the field mm-hmm. with the sheep, writing. Uh, he, he had his instrument with him. He would play music. And he would think about and meditate on all that God is. And I mean, you know, looking at the stars of heaven, watching the way sheep behave, uh, his own tendencies as a human being, that all of it brought him to want to know God more. And, and, and it's, it's there for all of us. Mm-hmm. We, we should take all of those blinders off that won't allow us to mm-hmm. see the glory of God in the simplest of creation as far as we're concerned. You know, the snail on the ground, the caterpillar on the tree and in the birds that are just working, working, working all day and, and go to bed like clockwork every night. You know, all those things draw us toward God and I'm convinced they did with David. I want to say too that for, for those of us who have young people in our lives, son, daughter, um, niece, nephew, what, whatever it may be, Timothy's given uh, encouragement from Paul 
to be strong. It's like to read that. 2 Timothy 4, 12, let no one despise your youth. Just think about David. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. There's no child in this world that is too young to start honoring God and to tell even the most mature adult God is on his throne. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to hear a child say, I believe in God. It, how does that make the Lord feel? Out of the mouths, mouths of babes, you That's have perfected, perfected praise. praise. Um, it's right It's there. just a great testimony. And to, to see a young person stand up, especially in a world that's so hostile now, uh, and in environments that the youth tend to populate it, it, it university or whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, you feel isolated. You feel like you're the only one down there in the valley. Yep. The army's all back up there not wanting to do anything. And here comes a giant. Yep. Now what are you going to do? Uh, if your confidence is in the Lord, you will stand. Yep. And you'll get it done. He will overcome that for you. He'll, he'll, he'll bring you through it. So there's victory in that alone. Just to say, I'm going to stand up for the Lord against all odds. That David didn't David didn't step onto the battlefield for victory. He, he came onto the battlefield from victory. He already had a discussion right. with his brothers, and they said, we know what you're here for. Beat it. You know, go, go check your sheep or whatever. They make fun of him. Mm-hmm. So he moves on. He goes to the king. The king says, you're too young. You can't fight him. You, yeah. he's, a, he's a warrior from his youth. You don't even know anything about war. No encouragement at all. And David <laughs> says, well, I've beat a bear and a lion, as you pointed out. And so he, he's already been victorious in every conversation he's had leading into this battle. And he never changes his mm-hmm. approach, his perspective, uh, and having God out in front. And so it, it, he stepped into this battle from victory, not for victory, which I think is very important for us as Christians today. Yeah, you just brought a, a thought to my mind with God being out in front. Uh, Goliath had his armor bearer. Words, <laughs> here, was a guy, here was a guy with a large shield, and he used it to protect his master, Goliath, from any incoming arrows or anything. Uh, and it doesn't tell us. David didn't have an armor bearer, but the Lord was there. He was his armor bearer. And uh, with the Lord as an armor bearer, um, as Paul says, the, the fiery darts of the wicked one will only be quenched. That's right, and the fight's over. Yeah. God will have it no other way. It really is an amazing picture of, of faith and confidence in the Lord, and, and it, age has nothing to do with it. You know, right. how many times you've been tested has, has very little, if nothing, to do with it. Is simply loving the Lord and, and trusting in His Word, and then moving based on what God's revealed. That you know, you're in line with that. It's not just going out and challenging everybody to a fight. It's it's knowing that this opposes God, and God won't stand for that, and I'm not going to either. So, from that place. The Lord is absolutely out in front of David, and this battle is over. Mm-hmm. There's nothing Goliath or anybody else can do anything about it. So it's a great lesson for all of us, and we need to hold that close to our hearts and just remember that the lesson is there for all of us uh, to be stronger in our faith. I got uh, a couple of questions for you, if if you're ready. What's on your mind, Danny? I'll let I'll, you know. I'll, I'll try to give you counsel. Oh. <laughs> Oh, not those kind of questions. It's trivia time, isn't it? Yes, it is trivia time. Trivia. Sweet trivia. What do you want to do? You went first last time. I did? Okay. So I'll ask you the first one. Uh, From the Old Testament law, how many times were the Jews required to go to visit Jerusalem and go worship at the temple once it was built. Hmm. Required by the law. Yep, the Lord mandated there were three times to go and worship in Jerusalem. And so which ones were they? Well, you don't, if you want to name those uh, events, that's fine. But just my question is how many times were they required to go? Oh, three. 
You're correct. You just told me. You just told me it was three times. Oh, well. That <laughs> yes. was an easy one. Man, I got it right by asking a follow-up question. <laughs> well, I don't know what they are, though. And if you have them, it's, um, it's got to be, obviously, the um, Passover. Right. Um, and uh, sometimes it's referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay. It's yeah. The Feast so, of Booths. Right. Or Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know the third. The first one is the... Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Ingathering. Feast of Weeks because it comes 50 days or, what, about seven weeks after Passover. Mm. And that's Pentecost. Pentecost. So, yep, those are the three. Awesome. You got two of them, plus the right answer to the basic question. (laughs) David, there were three times, or uh, Danny, there were three times they were supposed to go. So how many times were they supposed to go? Um... Hmm. That's the old uh, who was buried in Grant's tomb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Not Moses. No, it couldn't have been Moses. Yeah. Okay, okay n- number one for you. Um, John, the apostle, writes about Diotrephes. What, what, are, um, what was Diotrephes guilty of doing? Um, John corrects him. There's more than a couple, so let's two, two or three. Can you give me two or three? Well, they love to have the preeminence. That's number one. And he essentially would disfellowship anybody who came in the name of the apostles. That's right. And would not allow even the members of the congregation to give them attention or to to acknowledge them. That's right. And so John indicates he he was actually in open opposition to John and the teaching of the apostles. And then, then to God. Yeah, and ultimately then to God because we assume that at this time... Uh, to be so John is the only apostle left living mm. on earth at this time uh, but God's word has been spoken through the apostles f- for these years and still through John um, so yes Diotrephes ultimately since John is in fellowship with God and Diotrephes is opposing John then through that he's opposing God that's right and he's misleading misguiding and directing flock. the brethren forbids those who wish to is what John says. You, yeah. you got them all. Um, as far as the wording goes, he says that he's prating against us with malicious words. Mm. Uh, but that, that's all tied into what you said. Uh, that, yeah. That's how you do that, you know, is, is you speak evil of those who the brethren tried to receive. And how spiritually deranged is that? Is that it shows you because he loved to have the preeminence, he wanted to be top dog. That means... John or any other apostle through their writings cannot be. I'm going to set myself up against an apostle of God. Well, welcome to the world, Goliath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't care. It doesn't matter who you are. You just defied the living God. That's right. And guess what's going to happen? Yeah, that's a great point. And it, you know, religions have been established on this very concept that I yeah. say what yeah. I say. And one goes, guy has has the final word. I'm the top guy. I got these little guys under me who you, you can also ask questions or whatever. It, it's not. It's nothing new under the sun. Right. It's not God's will. We are all brethren. Yeah. And Christ is our brother as well. He, you know, by by his sanctification, he brings us in to be brethren together. So to elevate yourself, so shallow and so immature. Yeah. It's it's. And yet, all, all you need is one or two people going, man, I like the way you think. And, and before you know it, yeah. hey, I'm the guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. here we go. That spiritual insanity sets in. Yeah. And Diotrephes. You lose touch with reality. He is there for that very reason. That The warning is always there for us uh, not to elevate ourselves. What's, what's your second question for me that you're going to give me the answer Well, again, to? I'm going to tell you how many. Okay, good. But that's not going to be the answer this time. Oh. We know that uh, Judas was given 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, uh, but that when he realized what he had done, that that Jesus was heading for execution, whatever Judas thought, it didn't turn out how he planned. So he went in and said, I betrayed innocent blood and threw the money in the temple. What was done with that 30 pieces of silver? They took the money and they bought the potter's field uh, for, as a burial site for the neglected or the those yep. without family, yep. foreigners. Yep, Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10, recounts the whole episode and shows again the hypocrisy of leadership. <laughs> oh, this is blood money, and we can't 
Oh, we yeah. can't accept it into the temple or anything. We're very we're, concerned about the law. We're religious. Yeah, yeah we're, we are upright and clean. We just illegally tried and murdered somebody, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Um, so they, they decided we'll buy the potter's field, in other words, a clay area, so not the greatest soil, no. to bury the poor in. Yeah, and people it's, it's a gift to the poor. Yeah, they don't have anything else, so we'll use it for a good deed. Yeah. But that's correct. And I, I should, I didn't give the scripture for the, the three great feasts. Uh, that's Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen. Okay. Basically, it states all three of them right nice. there. Nice. So you got the thirty pieces of silver right too. Yes. And I didn't even ask you how many there were. Thirty. <laughs> Very good, Danny. Yeah, Dachshunds is in third John nine through ten. Yeah. Um, okay, your second question. So, so some Jewish men come to Peter and they say to him, "Does your teacher not pay the temple tax?" How did Jesus pay it for himself and for Peter when Peter came to ask him about it? He told uh, Peter to go down and uh, I, I don't remember if he, he told him to go catch some fish. But in, basically, Peter, Peter was he told to go get a fish and in your mouth you'll find a stater. That's right. Which will be enough to pay the temple tax for me and you. So we're not... Uh, he interestingly gave a good lesson to Peter he says basically do the son does the son of the king have a requirement to pay taxes or or, or who has to pay taxes children of the king or the citizens of the king they go, well no uh, they don't have to pay taxes not not the children of the king no nope. so Jesus wasn't required to pay that tax but he says lest we cause offense mm-hmm Take this to the temple and pay for both you and me. So, yeah, go get it out of the fish's mouth. Nice. Very good. Okay. Well, I hope everyone did well, uh, especially on that first question. I mean, that was really easy. <laughs> especially when you're given the answer. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but as always, we hope that That's your right. time with us today uh, has been well worth it. By your own estimation, we looked at... David is a young man facing a monster, uh, one who could not be defeated by anyone on the earth. And David came with one thing that no one else thought to bring with him. He came with the Lord and he was victorious and we can too. We hope and pray it's an encouragement to you and that you finish the rest of this week in faith toward God, helping those around you to understand who he is and how great his love is.